Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, March 7th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book in the chapter of Vision for You, and we are on page 153. We'll be beginning with the second full paragraph on that page that begins with, Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, March 6th, is 4022. That's 4022. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Irini to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Edini. 
And now I'd like to ask Margaret to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Janice. Good morning. This is Margaret, a recovering compulsive overeater in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are going to resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter of Vision for You on page 153. And we'll begin with the paragraph, Our Hope is that when this chip of a book is launched. And I would like to ask Kim to please get us started. Thanks, Janice. Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestions. Many, we are sure, will rise to their feet and march on. They will approach still other sick ones, and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous may spring up in each city and hamlet, havens for those who must find a way out. 
Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm the Recovery Compulsive Overeater from South Jersey. And this is the sweet promise of the 12-step program, right in one, right in one, uh, one paragraph. It's so beautiful. Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, the seated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestion. And I'm just going to pull from the forward to the fourth edition. It says here, which was in 2001 when the fourth edition was, was printed, it says, literature has played a major role in AA's growth. In country after country where the AAC was planted, it has taken root slowly at first, then growing by leaps and bounds when the literature has become available. So that just stresses how important this first 164 pages are. You know, we can talk to each other one-on-one and we can give each other hope. That's what this meeting is about. You know, our primary purpose is to carry this message to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. But you can stay on this line every morning. If you don't pick up those spiritual tools that we're presenting to you, if you don't pick up this book and start applying it, you're not going to have that psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery. But this is the confidence they had in this book. This is the confidence they had in these 12 steps when it's launched on the world of alcoholism. And I love this. Defeated drinkers will seize upon it. Defeated. Because when we're not defeated, we're not going to seize upon it. Until we, until we seek this program with the desperation of a drowning man. You know, when a man is drowning and he is screaming for help, he is going to, anyone who's wearing a life jacket, he's going to seize upon that because he knows he's going to die. Yet we as compulsive overeaters will be dying, drowning in the mire of this alcoholism, and someone will throw us a life jacket, and we'll look at the life jacket and go, huh. Do you have a life jacket in pink? I think I'd rather have it in pink. And then even if a compul- another fellow compulsive overeater throws in a pink life jacket, they'll go, oh, I really like pastel pink. This hot pink isn't what I want. So it's not until we're defeated that we don't care what color the life jacket is. We don't care because we are defeated and we are going to seize upon it. And here's the kicker. We're going to follow those suggestions. We are going to follow those suggestions because until we apply this program as it is written, not putting our own twist on it, we're not going to get the results that this book promises. But if you are a defeated drinker, if you sneeze upon it, and if you follow its suggestions, you will receive the promises of this program. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Press star 1 to unmute. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. And I'll comment on, I'll get us started here a little bit after Kim was so kind to do that. Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched, defeated drinkers will seize upon it and follow its suggestions. You know, if you know anything about the history of AA, you know, they had been working hard at trying to find a way to carry this message in ever wider circles in 
farther away places. Because back in 1939, you know, there was not the internet, there was not the telephone system that we have now. It was harder and harder. They were doing it face to face. They were doing it face to face. As those traveled around the country and those people who had heard of this program were able to, to go face to face with other people and carry the message. And so they hit upon the idea of a book. And I tell you, when that book came out, thank you, God, we have this literature. Thank you, God, we have this literature. You know, it, it says the age of miracles is still with us in the paragraph above that. The age of miracles. So this book allowed that age of miracles to continue, I believe. You know, to seize upon it and follow its suggestions meant to follow the 12 steps. You know, and it says in the 12 and 12, under step one, who likes to admit complete defeat? But I don't know about you, that was the place I had to get to, admit complete defeat. That food had me, was leading me around by the nose, and there was nothing I could do about it. But there was hope. You know, there was hope. We had people in whom the solution had been found who had written this book, who had recovered and had written this book. They had followed its steps and they had found a way out. And those in turn who found the way out could tell still more people who were like them in that place trapped and they could find a way out too. So what a wonderful thing that we have this literature today. It's something to be ever so grateful for in my humble opinion. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie. Leah. Go ahead, Katie. And then Leah. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestions. The words used in that sentence are just incredible. A chip a chip of the book. I don't have my dictionary available, but, you know, I know what a chip is. It's a little tiny piece. Um, and then uh, the tide of alcoholism. You know, a tide, uh, I think of, you know, these great big waves just carrying you, whether you want to be carried or not. Um, and that defeated drinkers will seize upon it, that they will, you know, no matter how far down you've been beaten, you can pick up this book and find out about recovery. And that is, you know, an incredible thing. I just think about where we would be had this book never been penned. It's just, it's just staggering to even imagine, you know, trying to carry this message with just um, us trying to explain it over and over again. This book is a uh, foundation for which we can share um, our own experience, and then we can say, if you don't believe me, you know, this is what, you know, has worked now for, you know, since 1939, this book was written, and um, hundreds of thousands of meetings have been formed, not just people, but meetings have been formed all over the world, and, you know, I would love to uh, just think that, you know, every person that's ever read this book got sober. And, of course, that's not true. Just like every person I've ever met in an OA meeting has not put down the food 
and um, stayed in recovery for the rest of their life. I wish that were so. But it is a fact that we have a solution to give to people. And uh, they can, no, no matter how far someone's been defeated, um, you know, just like someone who's fallen out of a boat, if they're given a life preserver, they can get back in the boat. And that's what this program gives us, is a chance to start our lives over, and we are all here rooting for the newcomer. That's what this meeting is all about. It's not about me, you know, trying to figure out to be the most eloquent speaker on this meeting. I want to give people hope. I want to give people a solution that will work under any circumstance. Um, And I believe that it does. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestions. Um, Yes, and indeed it did, obviously, as we see from the history that, um, you know, AA grew by leaps and bounds. And, you know, these recovered men and women, they had a few ideas. You know, they had ideas about uh, setting up hospitals in a few cities. Uh, They had an idea about sending missionaries out to carry the message. And they had an idea about this book. You know, they had an idea about this book. That Akron group felt that if the message wasn't in written form, it would be hard to preserve the message accurately. And they also felt that if they wrote a book, uh, well, it would certainly be the first definitive book on alcoholism. And so its pages were penned. You know, uh, the book took form, and it was the essence of these ex-problem drinkers experience. It was the product of thousands of hours of discussion, and it represents that collective voice, that collective heart and, and conscience of those who pioneered those first four years in AA, the ones that blazed the trail. And those pages are the same pages we study today because it is a step-by-step guideline for recovery a guidebook for recovery that cannot and has not been improved upon. I mean, when you think about textbooks, you know, textbooks get updated. People make new discoveries. People expand on knowledge of a subject. But these first 164 pages, including the introductory material, which unfortunately isn't covered in most AA room, most OA rooms, like the doctor's opinion, that has been left untouched. All this material in the first 164 pages has been left untouched. Why is that? Well, because since 1939, when the book was first published, nobody's been able to improve on the recovery program described in the first edition in all the years that has passed. Since the big book's first edition, no one's come up with a better solution. Isn't that incredible? The 12-step program works as well now as it did in '39. So it says many, we are sure, will rise to their feet and march on. So the same directions that allowed these men and women to come out of the gutter are the same directions that allow people like you and I, real compulsive overeater, to get to a place called recovered. 
which is the goal and the aim and the objective of recovery and of this meeting to carry that message. I mean, drunks today aren't much different than they were in 39, and certainly alcohol isn't any different today than it was in 1939. The big book hasn't changed. You know, it hasn't changed from that 75% uh, success rate that was written about earlier in this text. So what a message of hope it, that is. It says they will approach still other sick ones and fellowships of Alcoholics Anonymous may spring up in each city and hamlet. That is Tradition 5, which is the mission to carry this message of recovery that's contained in these pages. That is its mission. Each group has but one primary purpose. We say it every morning, to carry this message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. That's our chief responsibility of this meeting. The chief responsibility of this meeting is to uh, the newcomer, and it is for the recovered people to give an adequate presentation of the program of recovery, the same program of recovery that was contained in these pages and still is today. And with that, I pass. Thanks. This is Eileen. Go ahead, Eileen. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Eileen C. from Massachusetts. Very grateful to be in recovery. The first thing that I did when I heard this is I I, I jumped on the word ship, as the previous sharer did. And I did look it up in the dictionary, and one of the top definitions of the word ship is something small, worthless, or trivial. How ironic that is. And another definition is something valuable that can be used for advantage, such as a bargaining chip. So right there, there's two opposing definitions of what the word ship means, but I'm always fascinated by the way they choose the words in this book. And chip is also often used in the phrase chip away. And chip away is defined as to remove take away or withdraw gradually to restore the magnificence that man has chipped away is the example that's given. The whole thing is just amazing to me how they pick these words because this book, which may seem so small and trivial, it's only 164 pages, which isn't a huge book in the grand scheme of things, look at the impact that it makes when the word chip is used to chip away step by step, as Leah described, step by step in a 12-step program, we chip away at that which had been taken away from us, which is our opportunity to live the life as fullest as we can live it. I, I love the way they pick the words in this book. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Eileen. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Then we'll move on to Esther, and would you please read for us, Esther? Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. In the chapter, Working with Others, you gathered an idea of how we approach and aid others to health. Suppose now that through you, several families have adopted this way of life. You will want to know more of how to proceed from that point. Perhaps the best way of treating you to a glimpse of your future will be to describe the growth of the fellowship among us. Here is a brief account. Years ago, in 1935, one of our number made a journey to a certain western city. From a business standpoint, his trip came off badly. Had he been successful in his enterprise, he would have been set on his feet financially, which at the time seemed vitally important. 
but his venture wound up in a lawsuit and bogged down completely. The proceeding was shot through with much hard feeling and controversy. Bitterly discouraged, he found himself in a strange place, discredited and almost broke, still physically weak and sober but a few months. He saw that his predicament was dangerous. He wanted so much to talk with someone but whom. Again, good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater. So this, um, these paragraphs um, are bringing us back to the early days of AA when Bill W. Uh, was the person being spoken about, read about here, where he found himself in Akron, Ohio, um, after a failed business venture. And one thing he was about to learn at this point is that carrying the message to others, which he had been trying to do you know, for the last six months of his sobriety, it's not something that he would do only um, to help other people, but something that he would do to help himself. Um, he'd been trying until this point to help others <coughs> recover, but here he's standing at this point in a very, we're going to read on in the next few paragraphs, he's extremely vulnerable um, place where he is and where um, he realized that at, at this place where he was vulnerable you know, being tempted by you know the you know the bar down the hall and the clinking of the glasses that the way to you know sort of take the spotlight off him and, and what he wants is to turn around and to help others, and this is something that's very important to me because I realize that carrying the message is not about is not only about helping others but that I when I carry the message that is my you know my own insurance to keep my program strong, to keep myself recovered is by carrying the message. And it, it's something that, you know, in, a, in, a, um, in another chapter we spoke about extensively, um, this idea of, of uh, carrying the message as a way of ensuring our own immunity to that, um, going back to compulsive overeating. And it's interesting to note that the day that, you know, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous designates as, you know, their birthday is not the day that Bill W. became sober, sober. Rather, it's the day that he carried the message to successfully to another alcoholic, and that's quite telling. That the fellowship is all about carrying the message and, you know, spreading the the hope that there is a solution to the problem of alcoholism. And of course, the reason they're bringing it up at this point here in the chapter of Vision for You is because they want to give us a a glimpse of what what we can expect in the future. And they started off by telling us the whole point of uh, carrying the message and giving to others. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Katie in Colorado. I heard Katie and Paula and one other person. We'll start with Katie. Thanks. This is Katie. I'm a compulsive overeater and a food addict in Colorado. Um, I so, so appreciate hearing about the history as we're reading through this. And one of the things that I hear in this paragraph that OA has given me is a new way to measure my success in life. Um, It's really easy in this world to get caught up in how I am measured professionally, how I am measured as a mother in my family, as a wife, or all of these roles that I play. And OA gave me a new way to just be okay, 
to know that today was a good day because I didn't act out with food. Today was a good day because I'm abstinent and I'm okay if I'm abstinent. And, And actually, I'm okay because I'm a child of God. But, um... On top of that, I can access my relationship to my higher power when I'm abstinent. And that is the foundation for everything else. And when everything else seems like it's going wrong, I can find success within myself and be heartened and be encouraged just by not being that unmanageable addict that I once was and having a chance at accessing my higher power. That's all I'll say. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. Thank you for your service. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive overeater, today in Florida. Today, still recovered. That last night, I'm going to scoot down to this line here on this third paragraph. Perhaps the best way of treating, now there's a treat for you, my friend, you to a glimpse of your future. Who would ever want to look at a glimpse of my future when I was in my addictions? But wait, today I want to see. A glimpse of your future will be to describe the growth of the fellowship among us. And here is a brief account. But before we do that, I'd like to look at that. It says, the best way. And then the line before, the last paragraph again, said, This approach, they will approach still other sick ones, and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous may spring up in each city and hamlet, havens for those who must find a way out. Wow. The Age of Miracles is still with us. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. That part here, you will want to know more how to proceed from that point. And there is why it grew. The words, the book, the people behind the book. They knew. They knew what they had to do, but more they knew the strength and the power that they would gain because their higher power was now in control of this life. And that word, the growth, it didn't stop. It went on and on and on. Through the years, oh, yes. Through the time, yes but through the people. On and on it went, and here it is today. We are still living, talking, and miracles. Thank you for allowing me to share yet another miracle. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Monica. And then Monica. Thank you. And I believe Vered was in there as well. Yeah, it's very exciting here as we uh, take, a, take a moment to revisit the history. It says, years ago in 1935, one of our number made a journey to a certain western city. Of course, this is referring to Bill. From a business standpoint, his trip came off badly. Had he been successful in his enterprise, he would have been set on his feet financially, which at the time seemed seemed vitally important. Um, you know, I like these paragraphs because they're leading up to, to you know, important part of in our history. Um, you know, Bill had gone to this place, you know, um, 
for a in in Akron, uh, you know, to put together a business deal, and there was a proxy fight there, and things with an Akron-based company, and if things worked out well, as Bill had hoped, he was going to end up becoming president of the company. But to Bill's distress, the deal fell through. So it says here, bitterly discouraged, he found himself in a strange place, discredited and almost broke, still physically weak and sober, but a few months, he saw that his predicament was dangerous. He wanted so much to talk with someone but whom. I think it's a, you know, it's a very clear example. Bill is restless, irritable, and discontent tent here. He's sober, but he is feeling very sad. He's feeling very depressed and very low. He's discouraged. He's restless, irritable, and discontent. And what this does to me, for me anyway, is reinforce the fact that the main problem centers in our mind because this pain that he is feeling, he knows his predicament is dangerous right now. And this pain that he's feeling is going to increase and he's going to have a choice to make just like we all do. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Barrett, would you like to share next? Hi, this is Barrett, the Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, When I look at the the sentence, um, describe the growth of the fellowship among us, um, I think it's specifically asking us to look at the fellowship as a whole and not to describe my own private story. It's to choose to show the growth and the healing and the recovery from the perspective of a mass. And it's, again, it's, um, it's principles before personality. And I think for me, since I started, you know, with the big book study, going all along through the preface through the um, introductory for the different traditions. And here, all along the way through the book, it's not about me, myself, and I anymore. If it works, it works. And it works for whoever suffers and is willing to take steps and to go, for any, to, go to any length to, to, um, to achieve recovery. And that's why we're supposed to speak to what is written and to... Uh, the growth of the fellowship, and less, not not at all, but less about um, the personal experience and story. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Barrett. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you very much, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm a little bit behind here, but um, history, we're being told a little bit. They're going to tell us a brief history of the of the fellowship and the growth. And we talked in the paragraph before about uh, the chip of a book being launched on this world of alcoholism. And we've seen, you know, here we are 75 years later, we've seen all this growth and everything. And I just wanted to say that Uh, Last year, in 2012, the Library of Congress uh, placed this book on a list of 88 books that most shaped America. Wow. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? Press star 1 to unmute. All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Katie, if you could read that for us. Okay, I'm starting with one dismal 
Is that where I start? Yes, yes. I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater in Virginia. One dismal afternoon, he paced a hotel lobby, wondering how his bill was to be paid. At one end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. He could see the gay crowd inside. In there, he would find companionship and relief. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. Of course he couldn't drink, but why not sit hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, had he not been sober six months now? Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old, insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, this is a, you know, very, very scary place to be. And, um, you know, he, uh, this is, this is recounting, you know, the story of Bill from the, um, uh, the beginning of the book. And, um, you know, he, this is where he meets Dr. Bob, but, you know, that, that insane thought is still going to come up. You know, those insane thoughts are still going to be there when we are in the worst of circumstances. But the fact is he's showing us that, you know, it doesn't matter if you've been sober for six months, you don't go sit in a bar and have a few drinks and be okay. It doesn't work that way. You know, we are not cured. We are recovered, but we are not cured to where we can go back and have a few drinks. And, um, you know, thank God he, he didn't do that. He, with a shiver, he turned away. And, you know, I think this gives um, anybody a lot of hope that it, it you know, just because you have that thought for a, a brief moment doesn't mean you have to act on it. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to um, fall, back, fall back down into the abyss. Um, just because you have an insane thought. Uh, this program teaches us what to do when we have insane thoughts. We get on our knees and pray. We pick up the phone and talk to another recovered person. We go to a meeting. We um, suit up and show up to life. And that's what he's going to do if he you know, turns away and he says, you know, this is not where I want to be. And he um, reaches out. So that'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Paula. May I comment? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you, Janice. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive reader. You know, I guess we've all walked across <laughs> before. Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Oh, how many of us have said that? Oh, that's all. And we knew when we said it, they're the lie. And it says fear gripped him. Now, they, that's a pretty strong word. It held him. It held him. He was on thin ice, and we all know what it is to walk on thin ice. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, is that going to break through now? Is that going to break through now? With the shiver, and look at that. He saw. What did he see? Remember that glimpse of the future? 
with the glimpse of the future, with the drink. And he says to him, with a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Those were the two choices he had. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. Was it for him anymore? No. There would be no music and gay chatter. Those days were gone. There was a time. But he knew full well that time was no more. And even though it still floated to him, he continued to walk. And there it is. Walk the steps. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? It's not Melanie. Sheila. I'm sorry, I wasn't able to hear the order. Monica. Melanie. And Sheila. Monica, and then Melica. Monica, then Melanie, and Sheila. Is that who I heard? Yes. Monica first, then. Thank you. Good morning again, Janice. Good morning, everyone. Oh, this is so um, important here, these two paragraphs. You know, even though Bill had a spiritual experience, you know, he had the sudden white light change of personality recovery experience here, it, you know, it, it doesn't make him, it didn't make him superhuman. You know, we still have to continue, he still had to continue working his program and living life on life's term. And boy, he just had, you know, the the rug pulled away from him here. And so in recovery, you know, we're still going to have these thoughts come every now and then. But now the difference is we recognize them, we know what they are. It's that crazy insidious thing again here, that insidious sanity, like he says. And we know we have a choice. We have a decision to make. And it's part of the experience, you know, we, we, um, but that's the important thing. He knew what was happening. It was that old crazy lie coming through. And I remember the lie, you know, and I always believed the lie that this time it would be different. Uh, I would be able to handle that one. I'd be able to sit there and have, oh, maybe three drinks. But today, being recovered, I know it is a lie and that is not true. And yes, there is some fear there. There's fear there because I don't ever want to pick up again because if I do, will I ever stop eating? So there's a little fear there that reminds me. Nope, nope, I don't want to go down that path. So he makes a decision here, and it's his responsibility to make a decision. And his responsibility, if he wants to continue on his recovery, we have that decision to make. And every day we make a decision. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Go ahead, Melanie. Thank you, Janice. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. I'm going to just um, expand upon what others have said here. Monica covered it very well. But I want to say this. This is groundbreaking. This is revolutionary. This is huge, huge, Melanie. Because it hasn't been done before, no, but because it has been written down. This is where I get to identify in. This is a clear example of restless, irritable, and discontent. There's something that happened, huge, catastrophic. I am going to go to that refrigerator. I'm going to go to that cabinet. I'm back and forth. Am I? No. Am I? No. Am I? No. Well, I'll do celery. I'll do carrots. I'll do anything. I'll go back, back and forth. This is it described perfectly, written down, and it is the first bite, Melanie. The first bite, what are you going to do? Left to your own head. 
there's nobody else around except for the vice and escape that he dreamed up on his own, I'm sure, by the grace of God, clearly. You know, there was clearly some divine intervention here that described my experience precisely, specifically, exactly, with a shiver, with a shiver. Oh, my. Right here, right now, Melanie, pay attention. There is a turnaround for you. You never have to take the first bite. Written down in black and white, there is an escape from that. This is important. Pay attention in two paragraphs. Underline it, Melanie. Underline it. Never again. By the grace of a power greater than you, written down for instruction, ever again in two paragraphs. A turning point. With that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Go ahead, Sheila. Hi, this is Sheila. I just wanted to share. This is a very, very, very important paragraph. Many, many, many times as we fight and struggle for recovery, we get to these choices. Which door do I take? Do I go back to the old door of pain, or do I go to the door unknown, but I don't want to go to the pain? I identify completely with it, and that's all I wanted to say. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. It is so exciting here. (laughs) One dismal afternoon, he paced a hotel lobby wondering how his bill was to be paid. Um, You know, Bill's in hot water. I mean, you can just picture it, can't you, that he's standing in the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel in Akron and counting his money up and realizing he doesn't even have enough to pay for his hotel bill. And, you know, that restlessness, that irritability, that discontentment, you know, that we all uh, feel from time to time, just because Bill had a spiritual awakening uh, doesn't make him superhuman and it doesn't make him uh you know um, you know shielded from from life on life's terms you know he's still human and he's still subject uh you know to to life and he's a subject of life he's not cured of his alcoholism um you know so even though he's had that spiritual experience for the first time since that spiritual experience, he's being humbled by his alcoholism again. It's rearing its head. You know, he's looking through the door to that hotel bar and probably the lights are low and maybe the music was playing and maybe the smoke was thick and people are laughing and there's the tinkling of glasses, you know, and it looks so carefree, right? It says in there he would find companionship and release. Uh, Bill is in hot water because what the disease is doing now is whispering in his ear the option it's delivering the option to pick up it's delivering the option to pick up it says of course he couldn't drink but why not sit hopefully at a table a bottle of ginger ale before him uh oh suddenly unimportant decision you know um you know that would be uh you know what seems to be an unimportant decision but that is of course succumbing you know the doctor's opinion talks about succumbing to the disease inviting it back in and all these thoughts kind of washing over his brain is entertaining the thought of succumbing once again 
After all, had he not been sober six months now, perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks no more. Again, the disease delivering the option of picking up, that it won't be so bad, that this time you can beat the game, that this time you can enjoy some companionship and release and you'll start all over tomorrow morning. This time you can beat the game. Perhaps he could say, say could handle, say, three drinks no more. Fear gripped him. He knows he is on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity, that first drink. Remember, he is cold stone sober here. He is he's sober. So it's speaking to the obsession of the mind. This is not allergy. He has not ingested alcohol. We have a twofold illness, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. This man is sober. He is sober. And yet the disease, the greater aspect of the disease is again delivering to him the option of picking up. But look what happens. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. This man had had a spiritual experience, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Bill has been restored. And because of that restoration, he recoils as if from a hot flame. Yes, there's temptation. But he's been, been, been placed in a position of neutrality and safety. He is protected. He makes a decision and he turns away. He recoils. He makes the choice to leave. That is called restoration of sanity. He is able, despite the temptation, to remember his disability. And that disability is alcoholism. That disability is alcoholism. But because of the restoration of sanity, he is able to, with a shiver, turn away and walk down the lobby to the church directory. He makes a different decision. Let's see what he does next. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? I, I would. And who is this? Hi, this is Steve from Florida. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, what I really hits me is with a shiver. And we all have known, I know that feeling of wanting, like physically, that urgency for comfort through the food. And it's not comfortable. A shiver is, is that uncomfortable feeling. And I have in the past, of course, not allowed that I allowed that shiver to drive me right to the refrigerator and it's so it's really nice to hear that what he did is he withstood the shiver and didn't succumb to it and that inspires me uh because the next time I have that urgency or, or uh compulsion I will ride it out as he did, with a shiver. It's not going to be easy. I pass. Thank you, Steve. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? Hi, this is Lisa from Colorado. It's Linda. I'd like to. Go ahead. Uh, Linda from Connecticut, a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I think I'd Lisa like... was first. I think Lisa was first. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Lisa? Yeah, I just wanted to comment on the excuses he's making in his own mind. Had he not been sober six months now, perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks no more. 
fear gripped him. So I use those excuses in my mind where, you know, I'm in an okay place. I can handle this more. I can do this. I can, you know, and I think it's a false sense of security. It's my ego. It's thinking that I'm a better person than I used to be. I don't realize that every day I have to start new and surrender to God because the power comes from God. It's never from me. And so when I know that fear is gripping me, I'm in a really, really slippery place because if God has all the power and I'm nothing and fear is gripping me, I've got to make an immediate surrender. And when I'm on thin ice, I'm not in God's territory. I'm in the lower power's territory, and I don't want to ever be there, but I will be there. I will be there. That is, that is a given, and it can happen really, really unexpectedly. So I can't always be planning when I'm going to be on thin ice. It can happen in a heartbeat. So I have to always, you know, I heard somewhere that um, a sponsor was saying, hit your knees, hit your knees. And so I have to, you know, get on my knees and say, God, what's the next right action? What's Please give me an intuitive thought because my mind, it will, t- it will lie to me. My disease will lie to me. My disease will take me down and it will sound perfectly sane. You know, where he's saying, well, he could handle, say, three drinks. I'll stop at three drinks. You know, I'll stop at this food thing. You know, I'm in a bad place. I deserve this. No, it's not I deserve this. It's all about God and surrendering. And and, um, lately I've been really trying to do God's will because of this meeting and saying, okay, God, what's the next right action? Because my brain, it is, it, it, the disease and the brain together is a lethal combination. Just like the uh, alcohol in the brain with Bill, it can be a lethal combination. So I have to get the disease out of there, hit my knees and say, God, take this from me, take this from me. I've been reading from um, Dr. Bob and the old timers, and they, they, this surrender was a big part of uh, this um, letting go process. When they would take them up into the room upstairs, they'd be upstairs and they would you know, have the ultimate surrender. I have to use surrender every day and not let my very best thinking uh, get in the way and say, yeah, I can have three drinks. I can have this food. And um, so with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Go ahead. Hi, it's Linda from Connecticut. Thank you, Recovering compulsive reader. Is it okay to go Go ahead? ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Linda. Thank you, James. Um, When I'm in a slippery spot, it's... uh, it's uh, it certainly is a shiver, and it's because I'm terrified. Here it comes again, and uh, sometime the old feeling could come back and has. Uh, I, I can't I can't survive this feeling. It'll kill me. This fear will kill me. So I have to turn to God and ask for um, ask God to remove it, and I have to hit the phone. Um, <clears throat> I have to talk to my sponsor, who will put me right back on track. Trust God, and then I can go through the experience. This is a learning experience for me, recovery. I'm not going to heal if I don't feel stuff, and I'm going to feel some really crappy stuff because decades of mayhem, as as is usually said, it's really true. And it gets easier time after time because I'm not doing it alone. God is within and, and lifting me up and pointing me in the direction of recovered people and uh, I have that intuitive knowingness, and uh, like talking to my sponsor or someone else who's recovered, 
um, will clear that channel so that I know the next right thing. I don't have to guess. It's not me pulling me up by my bootstraps. It's me turning to God within. This is where I experience God and, um, and connecting with a recovered person and keep that channel clear because as was said by the previous person, it's all about surrender, surrendering to love over and over and over and walking away with a great deal of fear maybe, but walking away from being self-destructive. Call it what it is. It's not a piece of candy or whatever. It's self-destructive. And I can never cooperate with that again. And that keeps me knowing that I will uh, will not be able to change without this intuitive growth with God and you all. I won't be able to change and I won't have uh, recovered and uh, I've recovered a lot. I'm oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Kim, are you available to read that for us? How about Esther? Are you still there, Esther? Yes. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.